Well, let's open up our Bibles this morning on this Easter day to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 18 today. And I'm going to just begin with reading our text uh, this morning. So let's draw attention to chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is God's word. In a Washington Post article Dated fall of 2020, it was entitled, COVID-19 makes us think about our mortality. Our brains aren't designed for that. About seven or, months, seven or eight months into the pandemic and, and the reality of death was facing us as a world like some of us had never experienced in our lifetime. And this, this shock was around the world, this sense of grief and anxiety. The author writes... To function as a conscious being, it's imperative that you be in denial about your impending death. What else would you, how else would you go about mundane aspects of your life, cleaning the gutters, paying the bills, sitting in traffic, if you were constantly aware of the inevitability of your own death? The logical outcome is a cognitive dissonance. You know all humans die. You know that you are human, and yet somehow you don't believe that you yourself are going to die. There was uh, several people interviewed in there. One was a, a professor, a, psych, uh, a psychologist and professor, and one of his options or suggestions to think about mortality, he says, I am a speck of carbon dust born in a time and place, not by my choosing, here for an incredible brief amount of time before my atoms are scattered back into the cosmos. Well, that is one way you could think of that. <laughs> the question is, is our brain not able to consider our mortality? Death. Is the answer denial of what is impending? Or is it escapism? Or is it convincing ourselves that we're just specks of carbon dust that are just going to be scattered into the cosmos. Well, as it's been said, two things are for certain for us in this life, death and taxes. Just in case you haven't gotten that done yet, you should have put in an extension. But I would suggest that our brains are designed to face what will come to us, 100% of us. 
And I would say Scripture actually calls us to contemplate this deeply. Psalm 39, 4 says, O Lord, make me know my end. And what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. We're called to, to sing. This is a song. This is a prayer. James 4.14, what is your life? You are a mist, your fog, your, your vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So far from denial, we are called to, to think about such things. Now at this point, maybe you're thinking, Nate, um, really death on Easter? What a way to set the mood here on this celebratory morning. Well, during Passion Week, we must consider the realities of death. But we are celebrating today what we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died. He had to die. I mean, we have a cross up here. This is a a symbol, a torture device of death. And yet, Easter is a time for us to remember that he is not dead, that he is alive but it's real. Death is real. We don't glaze over that. And, and many of us in this room, and I know stories that circumstances of death have impacted you in serious ways very recently and within the last months, within the last couple years, relatives, friends, family, siblings. And as Christians, far from being dismissive and ignorant or in denial or being captive by fear and anxiety, we, we think about today. We think about today. Easter gives us something that is hope. We think about death differently. We grieve. Yes, we grieve. And yet we experience a radical hope and comfort in the midst of that that no Washington Post article or world can give us. Our passage today is, a, is probably considered the classic New Testament passage on the Lord's return And it is about death, but it's about something much greater. It's about our resurrected Christ. And as we read our text, Paul, the author of this, is writing to this church in Thessalonica, and he's writing to them to inform them of something. You saw that he wanted them not to be uninformed about their hope in the midst of death. And that he told them that these are words to encourage them, to comfort them. So what informing did they need for hope in death? And what words were coming to comfort these believers? Well, it's what we're, we're thinking about today. It's that Christian hope is rooted in Jesus' dying and in his rising, and that his resurrection secures our own when he returns. And so on this Easter morning, we, I want our hearts to be informed or maybe re-informed. And I want our hearts to be comforted and encouraged because Jesus' resurrection has secured our resurrection, and we should anticipate that. And so let me pray for us this morning that that would be what the Lord would do. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you that we get to remember that it didn't end on Good Friday. That was not the end, but the third day came, and Jesus, you are alive. You are alive and you are reigning on your throne. Lord, and we, we are your people. And we gather here this morning as millions of believers do as well under your great power and your care and your love. 
And Lord, would you, by your spirit today, would you, would you heighten our joy today? Would you increase our gladness of our heart? And Lord, would you comfort us? Would you remind us of the hope that we have in you, Jesus, that is unlike the hope that the world would offer for us? And let that impact our, our hearts, our, our mind, our thoughts, our, our, our believing and our living this morning. We ask this, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to take just a, a moment to give a little background of what's going on in this book. Uh, Paul begins, as mentioned, that he didn't want them to be uninformed. And what Paul is doing is he's writing back to this church who had written him with some questions or things they were struggling with about death of loved ones within their church and how this relates to the Lord's return. And the Lord's return is a theme throughout this, this letter, his second coming. It's something the Thessalonians knew about and they anticipated. And Paul, Paul is encouraged by this church and by their faith. And he wanted them to be continuing to live in obedience and love based on Jesus' imminent return. And he prays for them. We see this in 1 Thessalonians 3.13. He says, May God establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. They had been taught about Jesus' coming, but either they were forgetting something or there was some part of that that they did not know very clearly. Uh, This word used here, Jesus' coming, and we see this in our text as well, is this word parousia. The basic meaning of that word is is presence, uh, as in somebody came and they were present among you. And it came to be known, uh, and a term referred to as uh, the coming of a deity or a political uh, ruler. And there would be celebrations, and there would be banquets and gifts, and it was a serious event. And so they're considering Jesus' parousia, his coming. And it was going to be a grand day, and it's possible that these believers thought Jesus would return in their lifetime. And yet some of what was happening, some of their community of, their, of the church, as they were anticipating, as they were, as they were waiting, were, were dying. And the death of these dear members of the church, maybe because of persecution, friends, family, children, there was pain. There was great pain, and, and there was an uncertainty that they may have missed out on some aspect of the glorious return of the Lord. What would it be like for them in the Perusia? Would, would they, if they were gone? And they were stricken by grief, and there was a tipping point towards despair in their pain. Anxiety and grief induced by their loved ones missing out. Even when someone dies among us, we can say, we're, we're sorry for your loss. What do we mean by that? We're saying there, there will be loss of time with them, memories with them, future with them, their presence. And God is writing to them through Paul, giving them his words to assure them that nothing will be lost in the end. In their pain, they would be ones with hope. They would not be ones that would grieve without hope. See, grieving without Christ leaves one with only missing out. Without hope. Death is is final, and death would just leave you fearful and empty with that reality stalking you with no assurance of what's ahead. However, there is something that the Christian hope gives us in Jesus. 
It's something that we believe. And so we're going to look at three things this morning on this Easter morning in Jesus' death and resurrection that is unique for Christian hope, that Jesus secures our resurrection, that we will be united with him and all his people, and we will be with him forever. Look at verse 14. Paul tells them, for since we believe, maybe a little participation, we usually don't do this. Can you just say, we believe? We believe. We believe something. That's why we're here. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. So how does he combat their grief in the midst of this death? He reminds them what they believe. This is essential. This is the main thing. Since we believe Jesus died and rose, it changes everything. It's what Paul would write to the Corinthians church and tell them of what is of first importance, what is is the most important thing for us, that Christ died for our sins that he was buried, and that he was raised in the third day in accordance with the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15.4. It is the gospel message, church. It is the good news of what Jesus did in his righteousness, righteous life, and the death on the cross for our sins, and then in his victorious resurrection. You see, death came as a result of sin, sin's penalty and curse, Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So Jesus died not for his sins, but for ours. And all who turn in repentance and faith in him will receive the gift of eternal life. Jesus said this in John 5. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. So the curse of death... The wages of sin, the enemy, Jesus came to destroy, and it is in his death that this happens. It is what John Owen captured in the title of his book, The Death of Death in the Death of Christ. Yet he rose from the grave, showing he has victory over sin's power and the penalty of sin, which is death. If he did not rise, then we we should all just go home right now. It's what Paul says to the Corinthian church, that if he did not rise, we should, of all people, should be pitied. This is an embarrassment, what we're doing. You should all just go home to your Easter hams and take a nap and not return. But he did rise. He did die and he did rise. And in his resurrection, it was a, a prototype of what will come for us. In his return, you see, Jesus is returning again to complete that work for his redeemed people. Verse 14, the the NIV version puts it this way. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So in his coming, in his parousia, Jesus is going to come back and bring with him to get all those who have fallen asleep. Now, when a believer dies, we know that their soul is instantly transferred into the presence of God. Paul would say that to be absent from the body is to be present with God. And this this is a glorious comfort for those of us who have lost loved ones that are trusting in Christ. They're with him. Remember, Jesus spoke to that thief on the cross on that Friday. Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. But scripture speaks of those who died as those who are asleep. It's communicating this 
this temporal nature of death. I mean, think about it. When you go to bed, if you're like the eight and a half hour person or the six hour person, five hour, I don't know. I've heard people like they're doing four hours. I don't know how that happens. Or like some of my teens, like on spring break, 15. <laughs> but, it, but it's not permanent. It's asleep because it's temporary. We go to sleep and we wake up. And though our bodies remain in the ground, our souls are bodiless in heaven. And yet in God's full redemptive plan, it is not complete. The resurrection of Christ was to come and restore all things, the entire cosmos, and that includes us, that includes our bodies. And so Jesus returns to do that very thing. Verse 16 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. This is a very public event. This is not a secret event. The Lord comes with a cry of command. He's coming for those he loves. And along with him, there's this powerful voice of an archangel, and, and there are trumpets. In the Old Testament, trumpets like this would be, would be around festivals and triumphs. And this is one mighty triumph. And what happens at Jesus' authoritative voice? The dead in Christ rise. All those who died will resurrect, and there will be a uniting of their souls and their bodies. And so far from missing out on those who had died earlier, no one is missing out. Actually, they, they're like, they have front row seats. They are first class on the flight, right there by the stage, and they're getting the full thing first and they, they go. As I see this text, my mind can't help but go to Lazarus. Jesus tells Mary, as Lazarus was in the tomb, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me will live, though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. What did Jesus do? He, his, he spoke his authoritative voice. Lazarus got up out of that grave and walked out, soul and body. Or how about Jairus' little girl that had died? Jesus says she was just, she was just sleeping. He sat by her bed. He said, wake up. Get this little girl some breakfast. He reached down from death and woke her up. Just asleep. Just asleep. That's what death is for Christians, saints. Jesus' resurrection secures the resurrection of those who die, those who sleep. And then all those in Christ, those who have died, and those who are alive will then be together with them. Look at verse 17, our second Point. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. This will be one amazing event. Don't forget, all of history is going here. Union with Jesus and union together with all 
the saints. This is a precious thought. We will be with loved ones. We will be with saints of old, those of the future. This will be the greatest family reunion ever. And what a comfort. I mean, the Lord didn't necessarily have to communicate these details to us, but to think God wants us to know we're going to be with them again. I was speaking with a brother this week, just reflecting on one of our recent community groups, and he just was saying, what the fellowship, our prayer, our, our eating together, what, this is a sampling of that one day. Just, just a little tiny taste of it. How good will that be? With him together. Now, there is a lot of speculation in this passage about what's really going on. I don't have time to go into all of that. Some of the meaning of the future and what does it mean to be caught up, this word here, to to be snatched is where eventually we get the idea of the rapture. This is the only verse that uses that particular term and there's very little details around that. Now remember, Paul is writing to them to what? Inform them. Not to give them confusion and speculation. He wanted them to find comfort and peace, not panic and anxiety and confusion and fear. But he just gives us enough so that we can have comfort and peace. Right? When you probably, when you, like me, you pull up your Google map and you enter an address that is far away, Google kind of does that zoom out and you see your point and where it's going and you don't have a lot of detail from point A to point B, You have to zoom in to do that. Well, we were not given the zoomed in picture here. We're kind of zoomed out. But we know where the destination is. That is our comfort and our hope. These are words of peace, church, for our destiny, for your destiny. Because Jesus is alive and he's risen. Future and death need not be fearful for God's people. Frees us from the paralyzing fear in the face of death. That's what Hebrews tells us in chapter 2. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The power of death is destroyed, and one day Satan will find his final end. But death is is undone, saints. And the slavery of that fear is also undone for us. I think that's why we kind of hear this mocking tone in 1 Corinthians, where death is your victory, where death is your sting. It's undone. I recently picked up some friends, the the Castillo family from the airport. They were down in Florida for a vacation and they were telling me a story as we were riding home that on their, their outbound leg, they hit turbulence on the plane like they had, they had never experienced in their life. Uh, it was horrendous. She, Janie asked the stewardess when they got there, where would you rank that as far as like crazy experiences of turbulence? She's like, that was number one. And she's like, I'm glad I was in the back and nobody could see my face because I would, I would not have consoled anyone with I was feeling in that moment. They made it. They made it there and back. Janie was actually telling me she was figuring out how she could post on the Church Connect app to try to fill her spot on Sunday's kids' rotation and ask for a prayer request in the middle of that. 
<laughs> she was considering what was going to happen, and it was disturbing. But they got there and said there was a bunch of teens, like, texting their family and friends, like, oh, God, I love you, and I, uh, I'm sorry for being a punk teen. Um, but there was a young girl that came up to Janie afterward and said, I want to tell you something. I, in that moment when the plane was just dropping out of the sky and it sounded like something fell off the plane, she said, I was, I was looking around the room for someone to look at to help me in this moment because I was scared. And I was looking for hope. I was looking for a face, some eyes, and my panic. She wanted to be sure she was okay. And she found Janie. And Jenny would admit that she was scared herself, but she was praying for God's peace. And she caught that girl's eyes and, and as it's to say, it's going to be all right. And this girl thanked her for that moment. As I thought about that story, I, I can't think but that Janie embodied Christian hope in the middle of fear. Fear is real and death will stare us all in the face and we each will search for a face to look at in the middle of that moment of fear. We need to stare at something in that moment. We need to look into somebody's face, somebody's eyes, and will it, they be hopeless eyes, or they will, will they be a face of hope? Christ. Christ, we look to our living, conquering, reigning King, Jesus Christ, who gives us hope in that moment. Amen? And Jesus is coming again, and we will join with others. But ultimately, this is our prize. Look at verse 16, end of that verse. The promise of what we believe concludes, and we will always be with the Lord. We will be with him forever, unhindered in his presence. This is where it's heading, church. John's vision of the future day after death and Hades is thrown into the lake of fire and destroyed. We hear this in chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city. New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne of God saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Heaven's coming down to this earth. And there will be a new earth, a renewed earth, a perfected earth that will then be made. And it will be heaven because it will be where God is. It will be where the Son is. And we will be dwelling with him in his presence. Creation itself, Roman 8, 8 tells us, it anticipates, it groans for this. It, could we say maybe it grieves with hope of this restorative, powerful renewal that God has planned. And it is the revealing of the sons and daughters 
of God. God's people, renewed bodies, resurrected bodies, perfected, real selves, real words, real eyes, real touch, a real new, renewed earth, and we will be at home with him forever with our brothers and sisters. That is quite the homecoming. That's what the Nicene Creed would capture when we say we look for the resurrection of the dead and the world to come, our home. Now, it is not clear what will happen exactly in timing from Thessalonians as Jesus returns the command of his voice, the archangel, the trumpet, we're caught up in the air. Does, does that renewed earth immediately happen and descend in that moment? Does that happen later? Do we ascend back up into heaven to, to be in his presence, in his glory with the Son and the Father and the Spirit among the saints singing the endless song of the Lamb? I, I don't know the timing of all that, but either way, we are with him forever. And that is good news. And that is why this is words to be encouraged by. That is why he tells them, therefore, encourage. This word can be translated comfort, console. Console one another with what? With these words. These are comforting words for us saints. Because it reminds us in the thick of grief and pain and in loss that we can endure and there's something good coming our way. And there are many things that we can benefit from to find comfort when we're grieving, when death presents itself. And these are good things. Other people, gifts, support. But, but these words, these truths, the gospel message of Jesus' death and resurrection is what we need to find hope in in the middle of that. That will be the greatest comfort we will give to someone. It's not going to be found in somebody's near-death experience or their story of going up to heaven and back again. It's going to be these words, the truths of Scripture of Jesus Christ. The complete comfort is not just that our souls are in heaven, but that one day our resurrection becomes real because of what Jesus has done in his resurrection, and we will be in his presence. These truths are what we comfort one another with. C.S. Lewis helpfully observed, comfort is one thing you cannot get by looking at it, looking for it. If you look for truth, you will find comfort in the end. If you look for comfort, you will not get either comfort or truth, only soft soap and wishful thinking to begin with, and in the end, despair. What do we need, church? What do we need to remind our hearts of? We don't despair because we have Christian hope. We have hope because we believe that Jesus died and rose again. This is what we offer one another. And we don't deny, we don't minimize the pain and death. I think it's so helpful that we do hear those words, we grieve. We grieve. And some of us may grieve until that day. We weep and we are broken, but we also hope church you and I do not know what that date will be for us when we do pass we are not guaranteed tomorrow we don't know the time or the place of our death 
It will either be the sudden arrival of Jesus, as we just read about. It might be when we are old and gray. It might be from a different way. But whatever it is, we know that God gives life in breath. And our hope in that is in Jesus. I want to speak to you if you are not a Christian here today. Do you know where your destiny is? Don't stay in your unbelief. Do not stay in your unbelief. Turn away from your sins in the hopeless place you are and turn to the one where you will find hope. For the unbeliever, death will come twice for you. You will die the death here and then you will die again as you experience the endless death and pain of the fury of God's wrath against your sin for eternity. Or you can find hope today by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and find hope and forgiveness of your sins and hope in eternal life. God loves you. Jesus died for you that you may be with him in this glorious place. Would you turn from your sins and put your trust in Jesus today? And for you, Christian, what a destiny we have. What a future hope we have. The comfort of these words are for us, that we have a promise, a provision, a full provision, a complete provision of Jesus towards us in his life, in death, in his resurrection. And you and I and all of those believers before us and after us will dwell together with our Savior, with resurrected bodies, no sin, no pain, no tears, no suffering with him forever. That is our good hope. As John Newton captured in this, these words, when life sinks apace and death is in view, this word of his grace shall comfort us through. No fearing or doubting with Christ on our side, we hope to die shouting, the Lord will provide. Oh, how he's provided for us, saints. That is our hope. Praise the Lord. Let us pray this morning. Lord, I thank you that you have awakened our hearts this morning to remember and see the good that we have, Jesus, in your dying and your rising again. There are times, Lord, we we can be uninformed of that or we can drift from believing that, maybe like this church. And Lord, we... We need our hearts by your spirit to just awaken our hearts to, to be informed and to not just be informed, but to believe and hope in these truths we just considered this morning. Give us anticipation for that day, Lord. I pray for my friends who are grieving here where the, the sting of death is still very much felt on this earth, on this side of heaven. God, would you, would you comfort their hearts this morning? By your spirit, would you comfort and would you bring a renewal of hope and peace today? That we would grieve together, but as ones with hope. And I pray for those among us that are listening, that have not yet trusted on you, Jesus, today. 
that they would place their hope in you. Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen.